Uh, I am a fourth generation gypsy raised here in the United States. My great grandparents immigrated from different parts of Europe, no specific country, as they were the wanderers of Eastern Europe. Hitler killed 600,000 of my people in the Holocaust. It's documented. If you were to go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., there would be some um, items that would memorialize those lives that were given in the Holocaust. Of course, not to forget the six a million Jews and the many allied military personnel who gave their lives in that war. But as a result, when gypsies came to the United States, they kind of came here with a chip on their shoulder and would not blend in. Uh, they're not anti-social, but they're asocial, not identifying with any society anywhere in the world. Here I am fourth generation and my language is still preserved. And of course, there is no marrying outside of the race, predominantly for young people. And my wife, my late wife and I, our marriage was prearranged. I had never carried a conversation with her prior to our wedding day. And uh, she went home to be with Jesus in 2017 after battling cancer on and off for nine years. We were on the mission field in Eastern Europe when we finally came home. But um, prior to our conversion, uh, I was a con man in a traveling carnival in the state of Ohio. My late wife, Dolly, was a fortune teller. Uh, my goal was to become a millionaire by the time I reached the age of 40. Took over my dad's traveling carnival business at 17. We operated that fortune-telling parlor in Ohio in the fall and winter months and the traveling carnival in the spring and summer. Uh, by the time I had reached the age of 25, I was on that way to satisfying my goal as becoming a, mi a millionaire. But literally, one morning, I woke up so disenchanted so discouraged and so disappointed with life or the way I was living it. Uh, there was a emptiness within my heart that I just couldn't satisfy. I didn't know what it was. I would literally go buy a new car to try to satisfy and, or take another vacation or make more money or whatever it was. And I always woke up empty. And um, it was like there was a void, a vacuum, a vacancy within my heart that couldn't be satisfied. And I set out on a course or a trek or a journey, if you will, to find out the true meaning of life. I was tired of the pretend. I was tired of the fake. I was tired of the phony. I wanted something real. I wanted something genuine. I wanted truth. But truth was foreign to me. From the time I was a small boy, I was raised to lie, to steal, and cheat for a living. If I performed the con as a young boy, my dad would reward me. If I didn't perform the con, my dad would reprimand me. That'll confuse a 10-year-old boy. So that truth that I thought I was looking for was really looking for me. And I found that that truth is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, for he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We had... Uh, booked our carnival concessions with a traveling ride company out of Canton, Ohio. The ride company owner we would never work with in the past because he was more wicked than we were. He was on drugs and alcohol and literally would beat his employees, and he had a terrible relationship with his wife. But we had heard that he had become a born-again Christian. Now, we really didn't know what that was, but we felt that maybe religion might have changed him enough that we could work with him. So very early in the spring of 1980, we hooked up with his traveling carnival and we saw a dramatic change in his life. This man was off of drugs, off of alcohol, had a good relationship with his employees, and his marriage was in the healing process. 
He was a young Christian and was recently saved, didn't know much of the Bible, but he would fumble through the scriptures to show me that I needed to be saved. But he said three words to me in the spring of 1980 that just would not leave my mind. He said, you need Jesus. Now, I had heard people tell me that I had needed Jesus before, but it never meant anything to me because they weren't living their lives as if they knew Jesus. But this man's life was so dramatically changed that those three words just went round and round in my head for six months. The carnival season ends in the fall, and we were about to separate the very first week of October and go away from each other for about six months until we would meet again. And so that very last festival of the year was the Loudonville Street Fair in Loudonville, Ohio. We literally took over the whole town. Our concessions, the rides were on every street. Our travel trailers were parked in the parking lots of businesses. And I knew I wouldn't see him for six months. And I went to him and I said, Joel, I said, you told me I need Jesus. How do I get Jesus? And he told me to get alone with God, confess to him that I was a sinner, and ask him to save me. October 4th, 1980, I went back to my travel trailer in broad daylight. I knelt beside my bed, and I looked towards the heavens, and I prayed a prayer something like this. I said, Dear Lord Jesus, I don't understand the Bible. I said, Dear Lord Jesus, I don't understand Christianity. And I told him that I definitely didn't understand the church. But I told him I was lost. I was a lost sinner on my way to hell. And I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I even closed that prayer with this statement, Lord, take me to heaven when I die. And you know what God did at that very moment. He saved my wicked soul. He established my feet upon the rock, the Lord Jesus, and I've never been the same since. I always say I got hit with the gospel. Amen? I believe in a gospel that saves a man. I believe in a gospel that keeps a man saved. I believe in a gospel that keeps a man saved. And I believe in a gospel that changes the way a man lives. And so we came home off the carnival circuit that year. My life was so dramatically changed that my wife saw a change in me. Uh, the gypsy culture is a male-dominated culture. We're not much at stay-at-home dads or help the wife or kids. And so when we came home off the carnival circuit, I started changing diapers and washing dishes. And my wife said to me, what happened to you? You're not the same. And I told her about Jesus, and she was saved. And I'll make a longer story shorter. We took a chainsaw to the fortune-telling sign, cut it up to hundreds of pieces, parked the carnival equipment, got involved in a good independent Baptist church in southwest Ohio, where I eventually answered the call to ministry. I was trained by my local church pastor, became his youth director and assistant, and did that for several years until God burdened us to reach our own people, the gypsy people, or politically correct, the Roma people. You you call me whatever you want, just don't call me late for supper. Amen. <laughs> National Geographic says there's 40 million gypsies around the world. The United States government puts the number at 1 million. I don't know how anybody counts them because they're very transient. I believe those numbers are way too low. But nonetheless, this is a people group that has been unreached with the gospel. When we started our ministry in Cleveland, Ohio in 1990 at the Cleveland Baptist Church, no one amongst Baptists of any flavor anywhere in the world was working with gypsies. And I've been saying that for over 30 years. And by the way, we're 33 flavors of Baptists. We're like Baskin Robbins ice cream, you know. 
And so when we started that work, God began to bless, and then we began going to other major cities in the United States and reaching the Roma people there, and then full-time in the Eastern Europe, where we established many churches, turned over to nationals. Then after my late wife passed away, I started the Roma Outreach Missions Association, which focuses on reaching the Roma people, but other marginalized people groups of the world. We also have established three Roma ministries in the state of Florida and St. Petersburg, Melbourne, and Kissimmee. And then I've been working with the gypsies of Pakistan for three years via the internet. We meet with those gypsies every Friday morning for the past three years. We've seen souls saved, men answer the call. We've purchased their own building, and God is blessing those ministries, and we thank the Lord for that. I'll give one more testimony. I, after my late wife passed away, I tried my best to be a widower. I really worked at it. But there was a Bible verse that just jumped out of the pages. It's when God said, it's not good that the man is alone. And I began to pray for God to bring a lady into my life. But I'm an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing KJV pastor. The field is very narrow. And uh, it was almost like a conflict of interest, Brother Moffat. I would go in these churches to preach, but I would also look for the widows with no wedding band on their left hand. And to be honest with you, I just gave up. I just gave up. And uh, I have three supporting churches in Melbourne, Florida, and I would alternate. I moved in with my son after my late wife passed away. I would alternate churches. And one Wednesday night, I was at the Heritage Baptist Church in uh, Melbourne, Florida, where Ryland Millett is the pastor. They don't usually have special music on Wednesday nights, but this night, a gorgeous knockout redhead was the special music. And she sang a song uh, entitled, Hello. And the song is about when you get to heaven, you see Jesus, you say, say hello, you see your family, you say hello. And so after the service, I noticed there was no wedding band on her left hand. And after the service, I went up to her and I said, hello. <laughs> and God put us together and we married almost two years ago. She's had a gospel singing ministry for over 20 years. She had been singing with another preacher and his wife in the prison system of Florida, not as an inmate. She came from the outside in. And we continue that ministry, matter of fact. And she's watching online. She's uh, in Melbourne right now. And so I thank the Lord for the ministry that God has given us and the call that he's placed upon our life. Would you go with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 15? I need to make this disclaimer, and I don't think I really need to make it in this church, but just in case, I'm a very enthusiastic preacher. And I don't apologize the way God had, has wired me. I don't plan on changing. But if my enthusiasm offends you, then don't pay attention to me. Pay attention to the Word of God. Also, I have a display in the foyer. It's a downsized display because I came on an airplane. But stop by. We have a prayer card there. We really covet your prayers. And you may say, Brother Stevens, missionaries are always saying that. What are they looking for? A lot of the people to pray for them? No, we're looking for the right people to pray for us. Those who know how to touch the hem of the garment of the Lord Jesus. And uh, every missionary has a, a bullseye on their, on their back because Satan is, is roaring mad because the work that God has called us to. And especially working with the gypsy people who've been held in the clutches of the devil for centuries, if not millennium. So you pray for us. We know the second closest thing to a Baptist heart, and that's why we put a recipe on the backside. 
And all God's people said, amen. And this is Simone's recipe for gypsy cabbage rolls. They're absolutely awesome. But if you decide to spice them up, don't bother calling us for Tums of Rolades. You're on your own. Amen. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 8, I'm preaching a message entitled Finding Lost Gypsies. Would you accommodate me and stand for the reading of God's Word? Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to stand for the reading of God's Word. But I work with primitive people who don't understand the importance of this book. So we have them stand to give the book reverence. And when I'm in churches in America, I have you all stand because it makes me feel like I'm at home. Amen. Luke chapter 15, beginning at the eighth verse. Either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she had found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the piece which I had lost. Likewise, Jesus says... Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Let's pray, and then you may be seated. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this evening, our hearts are just overflowing with praise and thanksgiving for your goodness to us. Thank you for this church that is a lighthouse not only to Indiana and Chicago, but to the entire world, Father. Thank you for my dear friend, Brother John Wilkerson. Bless him and his wife and the team. Now, Father, we have come specifically tonight to hear from your word. And, Father, I'm asking that you hide me behind the cross don't let people see and hear nor remember Walter Stevens, but let them remember the Lord Jesus and his word. Father, breathe upon your word with a breath from heaven, ignite it with the fires of the Holy Ghost, and glorify yourself. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen, and you may be seated. Jesus spoke in parables to speak to us in a way that we could understand. A parable of Christ is a heavenly truth tabernacled in an earthly story. Only a chosen few can truly understand the parables. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8 verse 10, uh, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to other in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing that might, they might not understand. So God tells us that the child of God can understand the parable and he has given us the truths of them through the blessed Holy Spirit. The spiritual truth in this parable that we're reading is about sinners being saved. Verses 3, matter of fact, we call this chapter the chapter of the lost and found. And in verses 3 through 7, we read about a lost sheep. Of course, in verses 11 through 24, we read about a lost son or a prodigal son. And of course, in our text, about a lost coin. What we get out of these perverses is that Christ is seeking for the lost to save them. Do you ever hear somebody say, I found Jesus? It's not biblical. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, The Son of Man is come to say, look, seek and to save that which was lost. I thought I was looking for truth, but the truth of the matter is that truth was looking for me, and praise God that he found us. The ultimate goal for Christ is to rejoice over finding what he has been looking for to save. When we read about the lost sheep, we read in verse 7, and you could look at it, you're right there. He says, I say unto you, after the sheep is found, 
that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Uh, verse 10, uh, talk about the prodigal coming home, says there, uh, it's about the coin, that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And verse 32, when the prodigal comes home, uh, the father says, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So the ultimate goal is for Christ to rejoice about finding what he has been looking for. Our ultimate goal is to make sure that he can rejoice by reaching lost sinners with the gospel. And it says here in these verses in verse 7 and 10 that there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repented. Who do you think rejoices first when a sinner comes to Christ? None other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like spontaneous combustion, when Jesus is happy, all of heaven is happy. Now I know the saying is when mama's happy, everybody's happy. That's on earth and heaven, it's Jesus. Our life is about making sure that Jesus finds what he's looking for so that he can rejoice. Save lost sinners are the ultimate joy for Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. The author and finish of our faith, watch now, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What joy did he uh, uh, want to receive by dying on the cross, despising the shame? What was it? The joy of you and I coming to the gospel and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. That's Jesus' joy. Watch, church. It should be our joy as well. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says, therefore my brethren, dearly beloved and long for, watch now, my joy and my crown. Now, this parable reminds me of my lost gypsies and I'm going to show you why. Let me show you some similarities and we'll draw it from verse 8, all the thoughts for the message tonight. Let's look at verse 8. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. Number one, like the coin, the gypsies are lost, but they're dear. What I mean by that is they're precious. What I mean by that, that they're of great value. Look what she did here. Either what woman uh, having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one, lose one. And of course, we understand that the silver had monetary value. But the gypsies are, yes, the gypsies are lost, wicked sinners. They steal, they lie, they cheat. They're adulterers and sometimes they're prostitutes. They're dirty and they smell. Many of them are lazy and beggars. But watch now, they are no value to the world. In Eastern Europe, they're called Tsigan. In Greece, they're called the Giftos. In Germany, they're called the Zigoina. And the terms all mean the same thing, the untouchables, the unwanted, the, undis the undesirable, the disposable, throwaway people. Yes, they are no value to the world, but watch, church, they are of great value to God. For God so loved the world, that's how valuable they are, that he gave his only begotten son. They are great value to God. Watch now, they are great value to Jesus because Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Some would say, Brother Stevens, you have a dynamic testimony. 
God really had to reach down the gut of this world to save your wicked soul. May I remind you tonight, church, that we all come from the same gutter. It's called planet Earth. Didn't take a taller cross, holier blood to save me than it did to save you. Yeah, the gypsies have no value to the world, but church, watch now, they are of great value to God. And that's why we're supposed to reach them so valuable that Jesus shed his blood for them. You see, God sees the value of the eternal soul and not the temporary spotted flesh. God says in Ezekiel, behold, all souls are mine. And the Calvinist says, well, let's all go home if all souls belong to God. Some of God's souls have been kidnapped. Hello. What's our responsibility? To reach them. To make sure that they're set free. And you say, Brother Stevens, what do you do? You go to the hostage taker? You go to the kidnapper? No, I go to the hostage. And what do I do? I tell the hostage, if the son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I'm seeing my people set free from the bondages of Satan. And God is doing a work amongst the gypsy people around the world. Jude says, others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You know what that means? You don't have to love the outside. Hello. The outside is spotted, but that soul that belongs to God, it has no ethnicity. Hello. It has no skin color. It has no economic bracket, and it belongs to God. The gypsies are lost, but they're dear. The gypsies are lost, but they're precious. The gypsies are lost, but they're great value to God, just like this coin was of great value to this woman. Now, look at the verse. She had 10 pieces of silver. Now, of course, there was the monetary value. It was silver. But to really understand the parable of, of the coin, you have to understand different cultures. In many cultures, a head covering to a woman is what a wedding band is to you and I. It signifies that she's married. Even in the gypsy culture, the head color covering for a gypsy woman is called a declo. Within that word is the word dec, uh, look, see, or show. In other words, it says declo. That means stay away. I'm married. I belong to someone just like this does. And in many cultures, those head coverings have coins woven into them. In Eastern cultures and in the gypsies, even today, the poor gypsies, of course, don't have them because they don't have any money. In the more affluent cultures, there would be gold coins. She was probably middle class. And the losing of this coin would be like you ladies losing your wedding band. You would do anything to find it, wouldn't you? And so here we see this woman looking for this, this coin because it's dear, it's precious, it's valuable, just like the gypsies. Number two, like the coin, the gypsies are lost in darkness. Look at verse 8 again. Either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one, does not light a candle. Now whatever was going on, I don't know what time of day she lost the coin, but whatever, it got dark. And she had to light a candle to look for this coin. Listen to me, church. You can't find something that's lost in the darkness without light. Hello. This means say amen. This means really say amen. And these used to be flat. Light the coin. The gypsies are lost in darkness because they love their darkness. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. 
The woman in our story had to light a candle to look for those, that what she was looking for of great value in the dark. And God lit the light of Jesus Christ to look for lost souls. Luke chapter 2 says, a light to lighten the Gentile and the glory of thy people Israel. John chapter 9 verse 5 says that Jesus is the light of the world and he came to look for lost sinners in the darkness and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Did you ever try to look for something of value in the dark without light? Can't do it. And in our story, she lit a candle, and the gypsies, like the coin, are lost in the darkness, but the light of Christ has found them. I want you to see a third thought in the same verse. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one, does not light a candle, watch now, and sweep the house. The third point is entitled, like the coin, the gypsies are lost in the dirt. And what I mean by that, the dirt of their sin. The woman in our story had to sweep the house. I imagine that she began to move furniture that she had never moved before. I mean, this coin is important to her. It's of great value. It's more than just the value of silver. It symbolizes that she's married to someone. And so she's moving heavy furniture to try to find this coin, and she's sweeping the house to look for it. Now, I know that you ladies about two times a year decide you're going to clean the house from the top to the full floor. That's when we guys try to be someplace else, right? <laughs> but usually the ladies will uh, corral us or lasso us because they need somebody to move the heavy uh, appliances. Yeah. Amen? Gla guys, aren't you glad that appliances now have wheels? Huh? Especially refrigerators. And sometimes when you pull out that refrigerator, I mean, it's been six months before, since you pulled it out last, and there's some stuff back there. Amen? I saw a refrigerator magnet that said what, what rolls under the refrigerator stays under the refrigerator. And so there might be some shredded cheese that dried up, an olive or two or grape that rolled uh, under there. But sometimes when we sweep behind there, sometimes a coin rolls behind there. And just before your sweetheart gets ready to shovel it up, you know us guys, we got an eye for it. We see that coin in there. We don't know what it is because it's all marred. It's dirty. It's got grease and all kinds of stuff on it. But we'll say, stop there, sweetie, just for a minute. We'll reach down and we'll pick up that coin, put it between our fingers, and begin to rub the luster back into it. That we can see the image and its value. The gypsies are lost in the dirt of their sin, but watch now, God has found them, and now the image of Christ shines through them. The luster of Christ shines through them, and like the coin, the gypsies are lost in the dirt of their sin. The image was not visible of God upon them, but now they have met Christ and have the image of their creator upon them. God has cleansed them. The Bible says that Jesus said, Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. They are cleansed by the blood of Christ, Revelations 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the, unto him that loved us. Watch now. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. The children sing it thus. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we praise him for that. I want to give you my last thought. And you'll find it almost at the end of verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, the gypsies are lost, but they're valuable, they're dear, they're precious. She does not light a candle, they're lost in the darkness. Sweep the house, they're lost in their dirt. But watch now, 
and seek diligently till she find it. The gypsies are lost, but they're sought for diligently. You see, Jesus is looking for lost souls to be saved. That video shows a man by the name of Gitsa Feketa. Was that my idea to go to Eastern Europe? That was God's idea. It's not me who was diligently doing the work of the Lord. It was God who was doing the work of God through me. By sending me to that room on that specific moment when they were in a circle praying, walking in and hearing Gitsa cry out for God to send him someone, and I'm standing right in front of him. Tell me that's not the diligence of God. Orchestrating. Now watch now, if we will only be faithful to him to do what he has called us to do, watch now, he will work diligently through us. Just most recently, my wife can't travel with me. She runs a, uh, a flooring business, a 40-year-old family-owned flooring business, and she's been there 34 years, so it's difficult for her to travel with me. But sometimes I'll go to the store to try to help her with some projects. And one day I was outside of the store helping with a project, and an elderly black man pulled into the driveway. His window was open. He handed me a piece of paper, and he said, Can you tell me where this address is? And Brother Moffat, he was weeping. He had to have been in his 80s. He's weeping. There's no address there. There's a name, but there's no address. I said, sir, where do you want to go? He says, I've got a doctor's appointment. I'm supposed to be there by 2 o'clock. It's 2 o'clock now. My wife wants to put me away anyway. She says I'm losing my mind. If I don't make it to that doctor's appointment, she's going to put me away. And I said, calm down. Just calm down. And I began to rub his head. Just rub his head to console him. And I said, uh, I said do you know your... He doesn't have a cell phone. And I said, do you know your, your home telephone number? And I was amazed. This guy's losing mind, but he rem- I don't know my home telephone number. <laughs> and he gave me his, t- his home telephone. I called his wife, and I said, uh, uh, your husband's here. Uh, he's lost. He doesn't know where to go. Can you tell me the name of the doctor? And she said, yes, I can. So she told me the name of the doctor. And rather than, oh, and by that time, my wife, Simone, wonders what happens to me. She comes out to see what I'm going. I bring her to the car door. I said, Simone, sing him a song. And she sang him Amazing Grace. And so I took him to the doctor, took him inside. And by that time, he's, he's got his appointment. But I called him throughout the day to check on him. So one day they come to the store because they want to meet Simone. And so they come to the store, and they sit down in two chairs. His name is Paul. And I began to witness to Paul. Now, what are we talking about? God looking for souls diligently, orchestrating circumstances. Huh? There's a BP station right next door to the carpet store. He could have went there and asked for directions. I don't think they would have patted his head and sang Amazing Grace to him, do you? <laughs> and there in the store, I led Paul to Christ. God is diligently looking for the lost. We just need to be faithful. Just like Geet's story, he was lost. And God arranged a, a search and uh, a rescue mission. And led to a survey trip to a little gypsy boy who directed us to where the gypsies were, who led us to that little house where we found those gypsies in a circle praying that led to Gitsa's salvation, to led to rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. That's the bottom line. All of heaven rejoices. Verse 10, likewise I say unto you, there is joy 
in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth.